Hi, I'm Will, a bilingual English teacher and American expat living in Germany. And I'm Brenna, the editor of a literary magazine and a contrarian bookworm. Welcome to Scribes and Bibe, where we get tipsy and talk about etymology. We look up words with weird and shameful pasts or strange and contradictory meanings and then tell each other about them. The imbibing is primarily there to excuse the fact that I can't pronounce most morphemes to save my life. We're pulling back the curtain a little on Scribes and Bibe this week with a look at some of the -the off-the-cuff research we do while we talk to each other about faulty separation, false friends, and more. I cannot stress enough how not on purpose any of this was. I have a word, Brenna. Yeah. Hit me. All right. Because I opened up my concise dictionary of English etymology, and my thumb was upon the word indubitable, which dates back not that far, sadly, but dates back to the 18th century, so we're talking 1700s, and it's pretty straightforward. It's built with a prefix that is negation, so in, and dubitable which has to do with doubt, and it comes from French, and before that it comes from, let's see here, ah yes, it comes from Latin, indubitabilis, and I like it just because it has those nice uh, voiced plosives, duh, buh, very, it has a good mouth feel. There's definitely you know? some doubt sounds in there, you know, you're just like, you're the father, <laughs> duh. yeah what about you do you have a word ready you know i actually have a concept i wanted to talk about today uh stop me if we've talked about it before it's always possible because this is one of my favorite things that the english language does it's called false separation or faulty separation no we haven't touched on that excellent uh so in english we have articles before our nouns let's say you say i have a banana but you would say i have an Mm. apple because apple starts with a vowel so what happens in english is that sometimes you'll have a a noun that starts with an n and that makes it very unclear when you're saying it with an article where the article ends and where the noun begins and so we've ended up accidentally Mm -hmm. separating a noun into the wrong pieces so some examples of this are for instance, the word orange. But you would say, like, I have an orange. But the word was originally norange. So you would say, I have a norange. Right, because it shares a root with naranja and all the other romantic languages. Right. Thank you for... Cool. Yeah. So, so there are a couple of those. Um, Napron was originally with an N. Ah. <laughs> um, numpire. So the next time you're watching baseball and you want to yell something at an umpire... Get out of here, numpire. <laughs> <laughs> I'll throw my hot dog at you. Uh, but my favorite one, and this is the one I really wanted to talk about, uh, is the, the word nickname. As most people know, a nickname is an additional name, uh, usually a shortening of a proper name into um, something more intimate. But th- it's also an example of faulty separation. So the original term from the mid-15th century is actually eek name, E-K-E, the same way you might say to like eek out a living, eek means to increase it comes from the old in 
English yka, which in turn comes from various like Norse, Swedish, and Danish origins. So you would have an ik name, which would mean an additional name. And eventually uh-huh. saying, <laughs> I have an an ik name became a nickname, and then it just kind of oh, became cool. its own thing. So That's a really slick development. Right? So dudes who are named it, Nicholas and who are always like, haha, I go by Nick, it's my nickname, fuck off, because that's not where it comes from. <laughs> All right. Since I thought that you talked about that process in a really concise and comprehensive way, I found a word that's a great adjective that describes that, that doesn't sound like making something concise or comprehensive. And the word is compendious, which to me sounds like a really effusive and long drawn out way of talking about something, bordering on the sesquipedalian. (laughs) But it means something that's a brief expression um, of a very complete matter, concise, uh, ideally. And I'm going to whip out my etymological dictionary as well. First known use uh, as compendious was in the 14th century. And it's from the old French of compendieux, which is I-E-O-U-X, of course. Of course. Because you got to have as many vowels as possible. And also some X's that you don't pronounce. Very important. Right. And before the old French, it came from Latin compendiosus, which literally is just abridged or brief. Okay, there should have been a Harry Potter spell called compendiosis Mm. like where they have like a super long scroll of like an essay that they were writing and they're like oh no i ran out of room on my scroll and they would say like (laughs) compendiosis and it would just like summarize that shit that would be super cool i sometimes when i speak i feel like i could use that (laughs) just cut it off sum it up um and it goes back further than no wait no that's going forwards to the noun compendium right uh, which is literally that which is weighed together. Now, I hmm. thought that we used compendium for like a, a collection in like books or, um, you know, art, like you have like a compendium of yeah. articles or something like that. I mean, maybe there was a place and a time where people sold books by the gram and said, <laughs> you know what? This compendium has to be weighed together. <laughs> yeah, I would like I would like a <laughs> pound and a half of book, please. <laughs> <laughs> and you have to come back to get the other half right. pound if it stops midway through it's a like, chapter. wait, you forgot the epilogue. <laughs> okay, I have a couple of other words in here, including daunting. And I think of daunting every time I watch Pirates of the Caribbean, mm. and I watch the first Pirates of the Caribbean relatively often. Sure, as we all do. <laughs> and there's that bit where they're talking about the dauntless, is the pier in these waters. Daunting is a cool word. Because it feels to me like what it describes. But it's also something that you could say about, I don't know, it makes whatever is described as daunting, it makes that thing very active in how it uh, makes you feel. Mm. So if you say that the idea of asking out your attractive neighbor or whatever, that's daunting, all of a sudden that, that act is all up in your grill like, hey, I'm going to intimidate the crap out of you. And you're going to feel scared, and it's going to be me making you feel that way. And obviously, it's it's an adjective. It's a very straightforward word, in, in my opinion. However, I'm going to check the etymology real quick. Mm. Like, there's don't. Don't less is missing. Here, I think I can find it. Etymological dictionary as well. I have don't and dauntless, but not daunting. Well, then let's together go through our etymological dictionaries and talk about where don't. Yeah, let's from. get it. What do you got? Uh, to tame or overcome 
in the 13th century. I am getting that as well from the Latin domiter, domitere. I'm not really sure how it's pronounced, but... Mm-hmm. Um, oh! <laughs> it's, we're getting at a fun connection here. It's related to the same root of dominatrix. Because if you go way back to the Latin, you get to domare, which literally means tame as an adjective. I love it. Oh, the same as domestic, yeah. To domesticate, to, yeah, 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 yeah. to dominate. I guess that would be the more uh, household term for something that's tame. Is right. If it's domesticated. Yeah, so daunt, to daunt something, I'm guessing, was to tame it. And if something is daunting, it's taming you. Yeah, oh, that's that must be why it feels so active and aggressive. Yeah. The ing really gets you. It's like, this is coming yeah. for you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I want to talk about the ways in which words get clustered together and change meaning. Uh, I want to talk about abysmal. So abysmal mm-hmm. comes from abyss which is just it's just right there in the word which just means you know bottomless gulf endless depth uh and it's from the 1650s but around the turn of the 20th century in or like 1904 people started using it paired with really bad things so like oh your abysmal ignorance led to this catastrophe your um abysmal incompetence your abysmal inexperience and so instead of abysmal just meaning your bottomless moronitude um it meant um (laughs) your bad quality like because it was paired with so many negative elements and so like now we use abysmal on its own rather than like modifying any particular adjective it's just its own thing that you are doing abysmally it just means it just means bad which is really weird so it's it didn't used to be used as as an adverb. It was still used the same way. It was just it just you you should have been able to use it to say like your abysmal intelligence or your abysmal talent or your abysmal good looks. Like it just meant huge gaping right. chasm. Like it didn't mean a bad thing. It just meant a large amount essentially when you used it that way. But I don't know. Maybe it's because abyss seems like a really bad thing to like fall into. And nowadays you could say something similar happened to the noun because if one talks about the abyss right. any situation where I've run into that word in literature it's always been very negative. Mm-hmm. And Levels in video games, chapters in books, places in fantasy, in science fiction. The abyss is a terrible place, and you don't want to go. It, there. like, stares into you the, when you stare into and, it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, bottomless by itself, to me, tends toward the negative. Abyssal right. sounds terrible. <laughs> it's, it's all bad. We like to have something under our feet, so anything that's bottomless... That's Chasms. Good. Yeah, we yeah, don't we don't like them. <laughs> Ravines. Okay, okay, okay. Well, here's here's another one. Uh, mm-hmm. The word chauvinist. Ooh. So chauvinist in the 80s, someone came up with the phrase, and I want to say it was married with children, and I have no idea if that's true. It just sounds like something married with children would have come up with. We came up with the phrase male chauvinist pig. And through repetition of that phrase, chauvinist came to mean misogynist. It came to mean, um, you know, someone who was sexist towards women, someone who, you know, believed like that the patriarchy was good, that men were better than women, etc. 
Uh, but chauvinist doesn't actually mean that. Chauvinist means displaying aggressive patriotism. It's sort of like nationalist behavior, like rah-rah, American flag guns and stuff. But mm-hmm. when you put those three words together, long enough and often enough, they become interchangeable. So you have male, you have chauvinist, and you have pig, and you just keep using that. And then all three of those words feel like they are working toward making one meaning. And if you take any one of them out, the meaning stays the same. And so people just started using chauvinist as like a catch-all for like that phrase. But it's not. Mm-hmm. Chauvinist doesn't... You could have a female chauvinist pig. It just means someone who's aggressively patriotic in sort of a uncomfortably nationalistic way. So just like the way we use words changes their meaning eventually if we don't use yeah. them in a, in a variety of ways. A little pet peeve of mine and makes me wonder about words is whenever people say, I could care less. Okay, good. You like that? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's nice. Me too. <laughs> glad we've established a baseline for your caring and that you could care less. Cool. How do, you, how do you think that arose? Do you think it arose from people being like, well, I could care less? Or do you think they just were like misusing I couldn't care less? It might be... Um, because when we say I couldn't care less, the N and the T after could, mm. they get dampened and they get swallowed a little bit so that it's easier to go from couldn't to care because T and K are kind of funky to transition between. Yeah. What care I for blah, blah, blah. It's, it's an awkward transition oh, between a pair of We should of start horses. that. What care, what care I? I? <laughs> <laughs> what care I if you okay. do that or not? <laughs> All right. So here is an article on dictionary.com about could care less, mm. where it states that in the 1960s is when it entered popular usage. Part of this is arguing that it might have came from Yiddish humor as sort of a sarcastic way of saying I could care less. But I don't. Like, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. My knee hurts so much. I could care less. I don't know how you put the intonation right. on that to make it sound like you couldn't care Well, maybe less. maybe it's one of those things like, so in the 90s, I was pretty young and my sister was in middle school. She's three years older than I am. And um, she came home with this phrase that didn't make sense. And probably in the next 10 years or 20 years won't make sense to anyone who didn't grow up with it. But it was this thing of like, when you agree with someone, you would say like, um, yeah, you did, which in the way that like you say, it sounds mm. like you're disagreeing with them. It's like, it sounds like you're taking the opposite stance of whatever they just said, but you're not, you're aggressively agree. It's, it, it's a very strange thing. That's entirely about inflection and shared understanding of like what's already going on culturally. And I wonder if that's something mm-hmm. similar. And at some point it moves away from that very well understood usage. And then people just say, I could care mm-hmm. less. All right, so I've got one more word that has a a changed meaning sort of with usage, but this is a slightly different one. I think you're going to like it. So the word Mm -hmm. is ace from the 13th century, uh, meaning one at dice from the old French, coming from Latin, uh, meaning a unit, one, a whole, or unity. So in English, it meant uh, the side of the die with only one pip. Yeah, just a little pip. And so because when you're rolling dice, that's the lowest roll you can get, ace was used metaphorically in Middle English for bad luck or something of no value. So if you were like an ace horse rider, you were just really shit at it, you know, like you spent the whole time underneath the horse, (laughs) just dragging your head on the ground. But then as uh, card playing became popular in the 18th century, the ace was often the highest playing card. So it became meaning like, highest quality like 
total excellence. You're an ace fighter pilot, etc. Um, and then, of course, ace mm-hmm. in the hole um, from Crooked Stud Poker became to have a concealed advantage. And, like, what an about face for the word ace. You mm-hmm. know, just, like, to go from, like, oh, this just means unity to, like, this means really terrible luck and being totally without value to, like, oh, this is the fucking best. Yeah, absolutely. It's wild. I have, um, have you ever heard of the idea of a false friend between two languages? Like, um, where it sounds like the word is the same, but they mean different things? Exactly. Okay, good, because I've got one for you. Genial in English, and it's, it's sound-alike is genial in German. And as we all know, genial in German means ridiculously intelligent super smart oh like genius just, yeah uh-huh. exactly and genial just spelled exactly the same as the german is actually just super chill friendly affable huh and a lot of germans have trouble with quite a big amount uh, or a large amount of false friends because a lot of them happen like that they're spelled exactly right. the same and it means something completely different. Where where does which is really where does fun. that break come from with the German and the, like because like I'm trying to think of other words that I know with gen and there are a lot of them because you have like ingenuous or genus mm. or, disingenuous. or disingenuous. But like what's like where did those split? I'm gonna go over here, look past Gorse and Gloxinia oh, and see if the I can fuck? find. No, hold on. I found genial per, per, yeah, pertaining what? to marriage. From the (laughs) sometimes we learn new things here. From the 1560s, from the Latin genialis, uh, pleasant or festive, which that makes sense. Genial, pleasant, um, festive makes sense Mm -hmm. with marriage. Originally from pertaining to marriage rites, from genius, genius, um, guardian spirit, with here perhaps a special sense of tutelary deity of a married couple. Which might be also where we okay. get genie, guardian spirit genie would, but although that comes from gin, I'd, I don't fucking know. The root is gene, which is give birth or beget, which makes sense with like our genes or genus or things like that. Mm-hmm. With derivatives referring to procreation and familial and tribal groups. Originally used in English cool. in the Latin literal sense, meaning cheerful or friendly, first recorded in 1746. What? Mm-hmm. And I think this looks like genie in Germanic languages is actually also part of that word family and has a shared root as well with genius and genial and so on. Okay, hold on. So let's recap. So we have we have genial meaning festive, pleasant, related to marriage, coming from the guardian spirit, coming originally mm-hmm. from birth or begetting. And then gene, genius uh, is the same thing. The guard, guardian deity or spirit which watches over each person from birth, prophetic skill, mm-hmm. or the male spirit of gens, or generative power, or inborn nature. Mm-hmm. So literally, like, the genie that lives within you is your genius. What mm-hmm. the fuck? Very cool. Well, let's let's go t- see if... I don't know. Do you have gin in yours for the more oriental style of genie? Yes. Rendered from the Arabic genie, singular of gin, which apparently it accidentally resembled the French Latin genius genie. And they just Uh sort of got conflated in 1748. 
Oh dear, so the, the, white imperialism. Yeah, the Arabic jinn uh, <laughs> is from the 1680s, and it is a collective plural meaning demons, spirits, or angels. Oh cool. my god! Wow, okay, that was so great. genius, genial, genie—it all boils down to marriage and birth, and birth, and our protective guardian spirits, tutelary <laughs> guardian spirit type. What a great fucking word, Will. Yeah, that was a ride. I wasn't expecting that to come out of the false friend uh, corridor. No, covered. <laughs> My favorite false friend is uh, Embarrass from the 1670s from the French Embarrasser, literally meaning to block or to bar. We use it, of course, to mean like stupid or silly or wrong and a little bit humiliated or something to that effect. Mm -hmm. But in Spanish... Embarazado means pregnant. So if you fuck up your Spanish, you know, being a non-native speaker while you're talking to a native speaker and you're like, oh, estoy muy so... embarazado, <laughs> you are saying to them, oh, I'm so pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> They'll be like, no, you're no, not. <laughs> you are lying. No. Very cool. Okay. Well, would you like to go last, last, or I'll first, last? I'll go first, last. last. Um, my word is raconteur from the early 19th century. It is from the French, and it means someone who is particularly skilled in relating stories or anecdotes. So, mm -hmm. okay, just a bunch of raconteurs over here. And I will, I will leave you and everybody with apocryphal, which is... I always thought it had something to do with death, but uh, turns out no. That's apocryphal, my assumption, because it means fictitious, false, or wrong. Now I know better. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, I think apocrypha is the perfect description for what we thought we knew when we started this podcast. <laughs> yeah. And now we know better, and, and hopefully anyone listening to it does as well. So Absolutely. <laughs> and newly acquired wisdom. Yeah, we'll talk to you in the future. <laughs>